You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week, we hope. We are going to start off the show right away with our first guest. It's our pleasure to welcome back to the program ESPN.com's Titans beat writer, the one and only Teron Davenport. Teron, how are you today? Hey, gentlemen. I'm doing excellent, man. Appreciate you guys having me on. There's a new sheriff in town, so to speak. Uh <laughs> How much does the Julio edition uh, move the needle, I guess, for the Titans' chances in the AFC? There's a lot being talked about, you know, Super Bowl contenders now. How do you see it? Yeah, I think it does move the needle just because it brings balance to the passing game and it helps supplement the loss of Corey Davis. You know, they had balance there last year, whereas if a team chose to focus uh, defensive coverage on A.J. Brown – well, Corey Davis was on the other side, and he could get busy and, and make teams pace. It was important for them to get a weapon like Jones, who even, I mean, let's face the facts, he's an upgrade from Davis. So this is a really good situation for the Titans, and they needed to do it because they lost John o. Smith as well. Adam Humphreys is out of the picture. He's now in Washington. So I, I think it does kind of move the, the needle just because it gives them the ability to actually play in a shootout with the Bills, with the, with the Chiefs with the Browns, you know, who they got blown out by last year. This is something that really uh, it's exciting for the city of Nashville. It's exciting for us as media, and I know for a fact it's exciting for that coaching staff and the players. I don't know if this is an original thought, but immediately when I when I saw the trade, I started thinking, wow, I mean, this almost has like an OBJ to Cleveland vibe to it. Not to say that it's going to work out that way, but do you get that sense? Is there any chance that it, it might have that kind of vibe to it? Well, you know, honestly, I, I think the Titans hope it has an even bigger vibe because I would hope, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, the the Browns, they struggled initially, and they weren't able to hit the ground running the way the Titans are hoping to be able to do that with Jones. But I I get the idea that you're pointing to. And, and yeah, it does have that kind of, hey, there's a new energy in the building uh, feeling. And I I think uh, I actually spoke to Teddy Bruschi about this last week, and I just asked him about the, the Randy Moss situation when he went to the Patriots. And he said that Moss put them at a whole different level. He doesn't see the same thing with with Jones to the to the Titans but he says that it's an ultimate compliment to what they do and I think he's right because this team they pride themselves on physicality and just punch you in the mouth kind of football and when you add Jones to the mix a guy who's 225 230 pounds that will run through tackles after he catches a slant I think it, it just adds to that and gives them extra physicality. And you guys know what A.J. Brown brings. Just watch the Ravens game during the regular season last year. You watch the Bengals game, too. Uh, he likes to give free rides to defenders. You know, he'll carry them away. And I think that's something that is just uh, further uh, complimented when you add Jones to the mix. Well, there's certainly like two power forwards playing wide receiver. That's for sure. The way I was looking at it, almost like, okay, you have Cleveland, you know, a running team. They already had like a number one receiver. And I guess that was the parallel that I was drawing. I just hope it works out a lot better for Tennessee than it has for Cleveland so far. Toronto, what would you say it says to the team and the fans that Julio showed up for a voluntary OTA? Were you there? 
Oh, absolutely. I, I'm not missing. There are very few things that I will miss practice for, you know, outside of family, uh, nothing else. Yeah, family and religion, you know. So, yeah, I, I was definitely there. And I think when you look at it, it says a lot because the key word here is voluntary, right? He didn't have to show up. He called Mike Vrabel and told him that he would be in Nashville on Wednesday, would be back in Nashville on Wednesday, and wanted to practice on Thursday. And I think that just goes along with the whole theme that seems to be unfolding here, that he's a team guy. I asked him specifically about going from around nine targets per game to what will likely happen with with the Titans, and he said he's never been a stat guy. He's always been a team guy, so that's something that's huge. And then just the fact that he's not only all already out there, but he's participating. You know Julio Jones isn't the guy that, that does a lot of practice. You know, he's actually at that level where, you know, they manage his reps and the things that, that he does. He took part in everything, you know, from individual to team to, to everything, except for a seven-on-seven. I think, you know, when you look at that, the, the participation, the willingness to actually pull guys aside and show them stuff at the top of the route and show them stuff at the catch point, that's huge. So it's definitely a big-time impact, and it's great for the team to see, hey, you know what? This guy is probably a future Hall of Famer. Didn't have to be here, but he's here. I think that really sets an example for everybody. Teron, with this trade, do you get the sense that the team will open up the offense more and become more of a passing attack this season? I, I'm not sure that they'll do that. I, I think they will, you know, feature the passing game a lot but I mean when you have Derrick Henry in the back and you have that that type of style that that he brings to the table they're not going to change that right they're a team that is what I call pack and play they have a strong running game the defense is solid they control the turnovers time of possession in addition to field position that's pack and play whereas you could take that on the road to pretty much anywhere and you know find some degree of success Right away, you look at that, and, and then Jones adding to the pitcher, I don't think it's going to change that much. The one thing I will say, you know, when you got Arthur Smith, who, who's gone, he had just that unwavering commitment to the run game. And when it was time to take the momentum over, they would go shoe to shoe and run the football. And that's even when they were down by two scores, you know, and, and it happened successfully from times. Uh, sometimes it didn't, right? Their, their likelihood to run on first down bit them in, in the back a few times and, and they ended up, you know, putting them in, in, in bad second and third down situations leading to three and out. So I think that's something that Todd Downing will kind of adjust from and, and, and offer his own flavor from that perspective. But I definitely think there's still going to be a run heavy, you know, that, that percentage of passing is going to be more or less just, just gashing teams as opposed to a series of paper cuts with that play action. That's something that Tannehill does really well as far as uh, touchdowns and yards are concerned. What do you think of the Titans draft overall? Well, I'll say this just for starters. I love the Elijah Molden pick. He's a guy that I've been high on for for a bit, and the match is, is just superb. Actually, just this morning I was talking to his father for a piece that I have coming out soon, and he agrees, you know, that the, the physicality and just the approach to football, it definitely matches the way Elijah Molden plays. Then you got Caleb Farley, I think, is a solid pick. It, there are some questions, right, obviously with the back situation. But if, and it's a big if, if they could get him back on course to where he was at Virginia Tech, you're getting a Jalen Ramsey-type cornerback, you know, a guy who will talk that talk but actually go out and walk it too, you know, and, and I really like that about him. I talked to him a few times. He's a very confident guy. Uh, you know, I love his play. 
match coverage and all of that. That's a really good one. Dylan Radens is a future starter. I believe he's going to start at right tackle probably by week four. You know, that's a solid one. Uh, Monty Rice, I was kind of intrigued by that. I questioned it a bit. But, you know, when you look at it, the guy's a thumper. He, he's your ultimate run and hit type uh, linebacker. So right now it looks good, right? You, you know, you could go down to Racy McMath, Brady Breeze. These are guys that will help out special teams-wise. Uh, I don't really expect to see much. A contribution for them over the next couple of years as far as on defense and offense. But I do expect to see that from Des Fitzpatrick, who I think is a, a very underrated receiver. This Julio Jones trade actually helps him. It takes pressure off of him to come in and be an immediate contributor. He could kind of just find his way. And then it gives him a guy to learn from. I and mean, what better guy to learn from than someone who has been there and done it for 10 years successfully and is willing to share the knowledge. So I think the draft class was solid overall. Um, they did a really good job of just getting players to, to fill positions of need. Uh, Rashad Weaver is, is also a, a solid pass rusher. Obviously, he has some of the legal situations that have to sort themselves out, but I, I think he's a good player as well. Which rookie do you think will make the biggest impact in 2021 if you're going to put your money on somebody? I'll put it on Molden. I think he's going to come in, especially with Kevin Johnson retiring. I think he's going to come in and be that nickel. He's perfectly suited for it. He loves physicality. He's very intelligent. He processes well. He's willing to come down and, and, and go against the run. I, I think all of the things that he brings to the table make him a really good nickel. He actually reminds me of Buda Baker, and I talked to Lou Riddick about that, and you know, he said he called Elijah Molden a Jedi of the slot. Now, normally you know, I would pick Caleb Farley, but you know, we're still not sure. He's on course to take part in, in, in training camp, like at the start from the start of that. But I just think looking at the big picture, I think Jack Rabbit Jenkins and Christian Fulton on the outside with Molden on the inside will be their initial uh, nickel package, and then Farley will gradually work himself in. It's always a smart move when a team picks up a Washington DB. I think you can't go exactly. wrong with them. They, they <laughs> can't go wrong. Yeah, you just you've had obviously Sidney Jones was kind of a hiccup, but he was a durability concern. But the Achilles, but, yeah. I mean, other than that, Achilles, so. yeah. Other than that, the Huskies. Uh, secondary has always been strong through the years. Has this team done enough to fix the defense during the offseason? It's not a surprise. I mean, the defense struggled last year. Do you think they've done enough? Yeah, I, I think they have done enough. Uh, I think adding Danico Autry and, and Bud Dupree, who tore his ACL in, in, in December, so we have to kind of pump the brakes. I don't know that he'll have a, a a five-sack month of, of, of September, you know, but I think gradually over time he'll contribute. I think we look at those guys and what they bring to the table just from a, a just a, a dog mindset, right, the killer mentality, the, the absolute unstoppable desire to, to make a play when a play has to be made. I think that's major for the defense. The same with Jack Rabbit Jenkins. I think, you know, adding him to that secondary, that gives him the, the dog. You know, he's from the Muck City, you know, Pahokee, Florida, which is, you know, those guys, they got a scratch and claw for everything, just like a lot of other guys. There's a different mindset that, that I've encountered from, from that area. So he brings that to the secondary. I, I think, you know, when you look at Jayon Brown coming back, a, a, a full, fully healthy, he'll be there for the season. I think he is someone that has been the most consistent defender since 2018 in my time covering this team. Uh, Rashawn Evans, you know, in year two of the same scheme is going to be big time for them. Uh, he had his struggles last year. So I think overall they, they've done enough. I think really uh, in addition to the personnel moves is the mindset, the approach. 
the DBs being more willing and, and desiring to challenge guys at the line of scrimmage, be aggressive, because if you give anybody a free release, the timing of the passing game is just going to be in sync and the quarterback could just breeze through his progressions, no problem, and that hurts the guys up front. So Kevin Byard actually said that specifically. They want, especially like on third and short, instead of playing off, they want to get up in the receiver's face and, and challenge them. And, and that mindset is the way that you have to have, uh, approach things. So, yeah, absolutely. I think they've done enough. Now, are they a top five defense? Not likely, but all they really have to do as far as with this offense is just be, be uh, you know, top 10, top 15, and they'll be in really good shape. All right, Tron, you mentioned, you know, several, several players that I was going to ask you about, and there's, I guess there's some ifs, right? I mean, there's some question marks, you know, leading into the season. Uh, you talked about Farley and Jenkins. How about somebody like Kendall Lamb? I mean, is is he going to be a starter? Derrick Henry's workload, uh, Bud Dupree with the injury. I mean, of those guys, which one would you say is probably like the uh, the biggest factor moving forward? That if this happens, then we'll see some huge improvement. Well, it's pretty simple. The the team overall, offense and defense, they start with with Derrick Henry, and I, I say the defense because uh, I challenge you. The next time the Titans are on TV and they show sidelines uh, view after the uh, Derrick Henry run, look at how the guys are going crazy. You're going to see, see Rashawn Evans going nuts. You're going to see uh, Jayon Brown going crazy. Derrick Henry, his style of run, the, what he does, the way he just, you, you know, kind of dominates as a runner, that vibe, that mindset, it just drives the whole team. He's the catalyst for the Titans, period. Now, offensively, obviously, it starts with him. Uh, you want to give him his touches, you know, because you just see him just wearing things down. And it also gives the offensive line. You mentioned Kendall Lamb. You know, these guys like to fire off the ball and be the ones that initiate the contact. You know, they don't want to be the ones that absorb it like you have to in, in pass uh, protection. So, yeah, it starts with him. But you know, I think Kendall Lamb, Tyson Brelo, those guys are going to compete for the starting right tackle position as uh, Radens begins to get acclimated. But once he does, I think he takes it over. What is your biggest storyline when it comes to this team heading into training camp? There's a bunch of them. I think, you know, for me, the biggest is just naturally the, the chemistry between Tannehill and, and Julio Jones. And uh, I see that in the one practice that we got to see. Um, actually, in two practices, I, I see Tannehill pulling Jones aside after some of the plays and talking to him and, and giving him, hey, you know what, you got to widen this route out to create this. Uh, you know, you can kind of read the, the hand gestures that it, that he's going and just going with, with your knowledge of, of uh, you know, the passing game. You kind of figure out what they're saying, and uh, that's a good thing. So I'm going to watch that continue to develop because it happened naturally with uh, A.J. Brown, John o. Smith, Anthony Ferkson, but it didn't happen naturally with Corey Davis. So I want to see if that is going to be a hiccup or they're going to naturally be able to – you get that chemistry. Come off of, uh, I guess, the Titans for just a second before we let you go here. I mean, obviously, you know, you've been around the NFL, many different spots and whatever. Have you ever seen anything like this before? Mark Murphy seems like he's really giving anyone that'll listen the sense that they want to move away from Roger. I guess they signaled it when they took Jordan Love in the draft. What's your take on this? Because he just seems to, again, they're, they're putting this – to the court of public opinion, and every chance he gets, he kind of throws fire on it, it seems like. Yeah, I think the situation is just being handled poorly. I, as a media person, 
naturally like the fact that he he's speaking out. Right. It gives you my teammate Rob Demosky out there in Green Bay on ESPN. He's getting a lot of stuff to write about, and you don't have to search for it. But just from the outside looking in, you know, a, a fan of the game and just someone who follows football, I don't think it's being handled correctly. I think that's something that you manage internally, and and you are only further damaging the situation by going out into the media. I, I mean, what better way to communicate than A to B, right? <laughs> you don't have to go A to X and then to B, and that's what they're doing. But they seem to know something. I, I you know, I really like Jordan Love as a quarterback. Uh, he has done pretty well in the limited practices that they've had this year. So God bless him. I, I just, I, I personally don't know why you would do anything to upset or push a talent like Aaron Rodgers out the door. Well, always great insight, Teron. We love having you on, and uh, it's rare that we get a Lewis Riddick or Teddy Bruschi name drop on the show. So uh, thank you very much. <laughs> no problem. You guys got it. Appreciate you. And, Alex, you know, we go way back, man, so I appreciate you reaching out, man. Always good talking shot with both of you guys. You too, Luke. Stay safe right. out there. Take care, man. Talk soon. All right. Thanks again to Teron Davenport. He's always a pleasure to have on the show. He's well-informed. I think I, he was on uh, NFL Live after he talked to us. Just a, just a great guy. So there's some things going on. We have a kind of a non-football football topic to talk about. I know Alex is, is big into soccer or football. Uh, I like it a little bit. Played as a, as a youth for about five or six years. Euro 2020 is finally getting a chance to play. They, they had to cancel it last year due to COVID. A lot of different locations across Europe that games are being played. So it's pretty interesting for the first time. But uh, Alex, I mean, you know, a lot of things are going on with the Euro, but what, what struck you so far? I mean, the Christian Eriksen thing is just I guess has got to be at the top of the list. Yeah, it has to be just because of uh, his heart stopped and then they, uh, they revived him back. And obviously Denmark had to play that game against Finland. They weren't into it. They lost. But I'm sure they're going to be motivated moving forward. They're actually playing Belgium today. So I think we're going to see a different team. And then the last game is going to be against Russia. I just when things like that happen, you know, when your teammate goes down, you're going to play for him. And I think Denmark is is definitely going to be motivated. You know, you start thinking about it like soccer players. I mean, these guys are in such great shape. And then something like that happens on the football field, on the pitch. You realize how precious life really is and everything can be taken away in, in a matter of seconds. And I'm glad that people reacted so quickly on the pitch. And they were able to, um, you know, get him back. I'm just impressed by that. They reacted re- very quickly. Yeah, the amazing thing is, I mean, you're talking about life-saving resuscitation where, you know, we see guys in the NFL and college football, high school football, all levels, you know, they get hit and a lot of times they do get knocked out. But it's very, you know, temporary for them to be in that situation, just professionally handled, I mean, all the way. The one thing I want to ask you about, because there was a lot of talk afterwards and how UEFA, the governing body, if you would, how they handled that. They kind of left it in the player's hands. Do you want to come back and play now? Do you want to play on Sunday? Should they have just made a decision at that point? can go a lot of different ways. How did you see that when they made that to leave it in the players' hands? I think those those are the guys on the field, 11 players on each side, and then you have the head coaches. They have to be able to make that decision. I think 
I'm never the one to say that they should come back in a couple of days. I mean, obviously, they've got a really tight schedule. They have three games that they have to play, you know, in their division, I would say. Who knows? When can they come back? I mean, they have to travel to different cities. It's not like, you know, Denmark is playing just in Copenhagen uh, in their city. I mean, they have to travel to different um, cities as well. So it makes it complicated. I'm I'm glad that they were able to do it. If the players felt comfortable with it, Lou, I'm all good for it. And you know that Denmark wasn't even in the game. I mean, Finland isn't even known for soccer. I mean, they haven't been in a major tournament in like 100 years. And we're talking about Euro and, and the World Cup. But they still won. And Denmark is a stronger team in terms of the names terms of the squad that they have but i'm just glad that they were able to finish and i think again we're going to see a different denmark team today against belgium i think a team that's going to be more uh, not thinking about ericsson their leader and he is their best player by the way i think the players made the decision so we can't really fault anyone wafa or or the teams it was their decision to make and i'm glad that they played the game yeah, and I guess it you know it turned out well because he was okay, was able to I guess FaceTime with them, and then now he's come out with his own statement via Instagram, of course. But it's just glad that he's okay and that you know the tournament can move on and he can move on with his life and and, and be all right, and hopefully he gets a chance to to play again at some point in, in his career. What about on the field? What's what struck you? I mean, I guess one of the first things that that struck me is that it seems like most of the goals are coming in the second half. Is that just the way typically tournament action goes, or is that do you, is that different? I think it's too early to make those assumptions that we're going to see only second half goals i think teams are getting together they're on a short schedule they're gathering you know 23 of the best players for those teams it's not an easy thing to do when coach gets these players like three weeks or a month before the tournament and they have to get ready you know in terms of the conditioning in terms of you know running for 90 minutes right now it's it's too soon to make those assumptions that what we're seeing i think once we get past like the third game, then I think we'll get a better idea of you know where we stand. What struck me is that people aren't able to execute the penalty kicks. I've seen so many games where penalty kicks were, uh, you know, the goalkeeper was able to come up with the save or Bale yesterday. I mean, he missed it, kind of like Roberto Baggio style. Uh, hey, easy there. It's true, though. <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing that really struck me there, and you know that was. That was the final where Italy lost to Brazil. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Alec. I mean, just 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 so everybody understands, I'm Italian. I'm first generation. You know, it's we're very close. You know, to Italy. So I, I, I guess in our minds, not geographically, but I cheer very hard for the Italians. So just so everybody knows, and then Alex has to put that skewer in from 94 sure big reminder there thanks but they've won a lot of tournaments since then the the euros the world cup this year's team looks good i mean they they won the first match three to nothing they did the same thing yesterday against switzerland three to nothing so italy is peaking right now you don't want to peak too early 
in no. tournaments like this. That's probably the one the, thing that I would caution people. I mean, don't go all in on Italy because... Right, because they're still in group play. I mean, once They've qualified now for the knockout stage, and that's where it's, you know, one and done. So this is, you know, they play in groups. You get so many points for a win, so many points for a tie, and the top two teams move on. And then, I, well, how many groups are there? Six? Yeah, that's right. So a, 12 B, teams C, move on, yeah. and then the next highest... I guess, what, four of the third-place teams move on as well to make it 16? That's correct, yeah. It's going to be based on points, and then it's going to be based on goal differentials. So we all know that Group F is like the death group. I mean, Portugal, France, Germany, and Hungary just feels out of place in a group like this when you've got, like, Ronaldo and you've got, you know, Germany still, the, the, the big, you know, blitzkrieg type of team. And then you've got France, who is the the World Cup champions, I mean, back in 2018 when they won it in Russia. So I would say right now, I mean, France, Italy, England, and Belgium. Watch out for Belgium because I think they've got the right enough team. And when they get Kevin De Bruyne back, um, he's their leader. Right now he's injured and he's coming back, and I'm sure he's going to get ready, whether it's it's going to be for the third game or he's going to be ready for the quarterfinal. He's going to add that firepower that I think Belgium is missing right now. So I would say France and Belgium, it might be a, a rematch in the final like we had. They had the game in the semifinal at the World Cup in 2018, and and France beat them one to nothing, and then Belgium claimed third place, and France won. So I would say those teams, you know, the usual favorites, and I think France is definitely the the biggest front runner in this whole thing. But you can't count out Portugal as well because in 2016 they won the Euro Cup. Nobody expected it, but they won it. So they're the defending champions. Um, I think a couple of dark horse teams for me. I would say the Netherlands, they're kind of an interesting team. Also a huge soccer power, but nobody's talking about them as like the huge favorites. But I think they should also be in the in the conversation, you know, the orange. I, I love their uniforms, by the way. And watch out for Ukraine. Ukraine is my dark horse because I've seen them a couple of times. They came back against the Dutch when they were down two to nothing. They scored two goals in the second half. They eventually lost the game 3-2, to two, but I like that they, they showed heart. They fought, and then today they came away with the win 3-1. to one. So it looks like they have some firepower. I'm not saying Ukraine is going to win, but I'm saying that they could be in there in the quarterfinal, maybe the semifinal. They could be that, that intriguing dark horse team. You know, here in the States, when we talk about football, who are we talking about? The teams that have the best players. And then all, then there's always this, like, more of a team that comes together and they kind and they may, and they make a run, whether it's the NCAAs or whatever. But the, but again, you know, the ones that get talked about and these are the favorites are the one you mentioned, you know, Portugal, you know, they've got Cristiano Ronaldo. Again, arguably at 36 years old, I don't, is he still the best player in the world with top five? He's up there. I mean, he's top three. Personally, I think uh, the young gun from France, Mbappé. I was just going to. I was just going to mention him. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I think he's the future. I, I we've seen Ronaldo. We've seen Messi. Uh, you know, I saw Maradona, like Diego, and uh, I never watched Pele live, but you've seen some highlights on YouTube, and he's the greatest player of all time. But Mbappé is just. 
He's a different breed. He just he's able to take over the game by himself. And and soccer is a team game. You have eleven players on the pitch, but when you have a player that can just able to dribble and get away from one player and then the second and able to create and score a goal. That's what makes soccer great because there's just so much passing going on, you know, from one player to the next, from one side to another. I just think in the last maybe five to ten years, there's less dribbling. There's more less individual. A player isn't able to demonstrate his individual world class. And Bappe is just... He's a different breed, and he's 22 years old, and he showed it in the World Cup as well. He was the biggest reason why France won, and I just think he's the best player right now. The torch has been passed. I mean, with all due respect to Ronaldo, he scored two goals in the first game, but I do think he is he is the best one right now. For those of you that are listening to us and really don't care about soccer, I mean, even if you don't, watch France play because... I had seen him a couple of times, but the other day, watching him play, the first thing that came to mind when I saw this one play was Tyreek Hill. I've never seen anyone with that kind of speed. He just looked different than everybody else. I mean, you hear about Tyreek Hill in the top end speed or whatever, but when he gets on the field, he just runs away from people. And you can just tell there's no way anybody's going to catch him. There was a ball. He This kid had no no business catching up to but he did makes a play it's very exciting but again from that perspective if you like just great athleticism this kid you know i i agree with that alex is he he's just kind of electrifying and when they do get some some get an open space which it's difficult to do at times when you have teams that are constantly almost like sagging their defense back towards the goal it's hard to see those individual plays but occasionally if you're patient and you watch enough you'll see some of that very intricate close-in passing between defenders and france played against germany low right I mean, yeah. those are world-class players Absolutely. they play in england yeah. germany whatever it is spain i mean best these of the best class yeah. he was running away from him he's so athletically it's gifted. scary i mean it really was and- He's explosive, he's got great speed, but on top of that, I mean, he's so technically savvy for a young player, and that's what makes it special. That's why people should should keep an eye on, because we do know about Ronaldo and Messi, and this guy, get to know him, because the future is bright, and I think France might win a couple of World Cups with him, and it's not only him. France is a great team, they've got a lot of leaders, and uh, they've got a great squad, but this guy is like, he has arrived. He was the future at the World Cup a couple of years ago, but at the Euro, I would say he's the best player, hands down. And he plays for PSG, doesn't he, for Paris Saint-Germain? Correct, yeah. That's like plays- the that's like the the biggest team in France and right now I mean you talk maybe you got Juventus in in Italy uh Barcelona and Real Madrid in Spain but I Manchester City sure but I would say you'd have to PSG because they Neymar from Brazil plays for them too doesn't he 
That's right. They've got that. So double they've got some stars on that. Team. So I guess if you ever get a chance to watch French soccer, <laughs> jump right in. But let's go to a to a I guess a sort of a football topic. It's more of a maybe pop culture and and so forth. But Madden covers supposedly got leaked today. Who's on the cover? But Brady and Mahomes, the old guard, the new guard. Uh, both guys have been on it before. Brady in eighteen, Mahomes in uh, twenty. First time. Uh, since 2010, the cover has been graced by two players. Uh, in 2010, it was uh, Polamalu and uh, Larry Fitzgerald. What do you make of this? Two guys, the old guy, the young guy. Well, I love it. I mean, it's the future of the NFL and Patrick Mahomes. Um, he is, you know, the, the best player in the league. And Tom Brady, he walked away with the Super Bowl. And nobody thought it was going to happen. So you, you got to do something different. Like you mentioned, this in the Madden cover he hasn't seen two players before, uh, except for the 2010 year. Usually we see one player being featured. Is it going to be a double jinx, Lou? I mean, what is this, for the Chiefs and the Bucks? I tell you what, I mean, more often than not, that guy on the cover gets injured. I know Mahomes you know, had one when he was on it, and I don't recall if Brady got hurt in 18. Yeah, there have been so many. I mean, Adrian Peterson, you know, you keep going back. It just seemed like for about 10 years in a row, it's his Sanders. I mean, all these guys. It was just, yeah, I hope not. I'm, I'm knocking on wood as I speak. Uh, maybe only half of the cover gets hurt, you know, if you know what I'm saying. I was a big Madden guy. Like, I was a big video game guy from, like, 14 to 18. It was just back in the late 1990s, if I'm dating myself here. I was just always always buying a new Madden game or NBA game or NHL game. I'm a, I was a big EA Sports fan. I don't play video games anymore. I haven't done so in a long, long time. I don't even know if PlayStation or Xbox, I guess they still exist. But I was just a big Madden guy. When the internet came together, I think in the early 2000s, you were able to to hop on and play your friends in different states or different cities and in different countries. Uh, it was always fun to to be out there. I spent way too much time indoors, like my high school years, playing video games. I mean, what is it about the game that really, because, I, again, I, I'm sorry, I've never played, I've never been a big fan of you know getting into video games, but that one has just resonated. Like I said, I mean, it's almost a pop culture thing. Everybody knows what Madden is or that that there is a game and the popularity is worldwide. I mean, what separates that from maybe some of the other games that you played? I don't know. It's just everybody plays Madden, you know? It, it was a way to kind of compete against your friends, against your brothers, sisters, your your dads, if they played. I mean, it was just a way that... Madden kind of brought people together. I mean, you could always, like, invite people over to your house and say, hey, come over and... And, you know, we'll play Madden. They're like, hey, I'll be there, you know, in an hour or something like that. And then when the Internet came together and you were able to hop on, you didn't have to come to your friend's house anymore. You could, you could have stayed in your crib and just played through the Internet. And I just felt like it was a competition type of thing for all people like myself who who are not able to go to college and play football or or the NFL, the lucky ones. It was just a way to to be closer to the game. I know you're, you know, always you know, hitting the, the, the joystick and you got to have very fast fingers out there. But it's just, it was a way to compete. It was, it was a way that, it was a conversation in, 
in high school, you know, in the cafeteria and who's better and who's not. You know, you were able to maybe compete on the same team with your brother against, you know, your friends or play against each other. My brother was way better at, than me at Madden. I remember him like playing with the Eagles and like Donovan McNabb back in the day. Yeah, he was lethal. I mean, I was throwing like three or four picks. I wasn't running the ball. I was always throwing it. And, you know, we had scores like, you know, 50 to 30. But I remember my younger brother always kicking my butt. Well, when you hear current players talking about their ratings and then some like using that as motivation when Madden comes out with their ratings and they may not like their ratings, that most players probably feel that they're too low unless, you know, you're you know, that handful of guys that's between like 98 and 90, whatever, 90, do they give a 100 rating, whatever. But I guess just that when you hear them talking about their using it as motivation, then you know, I guess the game has arrived. And John Madden, I don't know that when he became the Oakland Raiders coach at 32 years old or whatever he was, that he knew that his life was going to be changed, not by his coaching. And then furthermore, not even so much his, his commentating, which again was great hall of fame level but this freaking game that's going to go on beyond his years his family's years and so on so it's pretty cool we have a pretty cool thing going on our show today we've got a second guest let's welcome our next guest to the program from the blue raiders of middle tennessee state star wide receiver jaron pierce jaron how are you today i'm doing great how about yourself Oh, we're doing fine, doing fine. We're going to talk a little bit about your career here. You went the junior college route. Okay, you went to College of the Canyons first. What are some of the advantages or some of the lessons you learned by going that route before going to Middle Tennessee? Uh, some of the lessons that I've learned was just basically, you know, just how to become more self-sufficient and how to become more independent and just knowing that this is a place where this is a platform where you can ultimately go to the next level and I knew that if I went to the right JUCO, which was College of the Canes, I knew that I would prevail. Basically, like, you know, the coach, the head coach at College of the Canes knew exactly who I was uh, from high school. So the transition from from high school to JUCO or taking the JUCO route was much easier because we actually had a relationship with one, with one another. So he knew exactly what kind of player I was. He knew where he was going to put me on his offense. And we ran the same offense from high school. So everything just kind of gelled. Everything was so so authentic. Everything just came together so fluently. So me taking that route, the advantages of that was just basically knowing the right people and actually buying in, staying committed to the process and believing in the process. You were born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Why did you decide to transfer all the way to Middle Tennessee? And was there a culture shock at first? I mean, when you first got there? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, when I first got here, it was definitely a culture shock. I didn't know anything about Middle Tennessee, but I knew that they were D1, and I knew that, you know, their 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 games were televised. When I looked on the schedule and I asked the coach, like, who do we play and everything, and he said we played Michigan first game, that was all I needed to hear. I knew that we probably – it wasn't a big-name school, but I knew that the NFL was going to – can find you anywhere as long as you do what you can do to – you know, stay committed to the program, do what you can do that's in your control, then you're going to be good and be fine. So uh, Middle Tennessee was my only offer coming out of JUCO, and I just took it. I just took the opportunity, and I never looked back. So 
I was very grateful for that opportunity. So speaking of Michigan, in that game, Jaron, you score your first TD for Middle Tennessee State. What do you remember about the play, you know, even down to what the call was, the route, and uh, maybe a little bit about the celebration? Well, yeah, uh, so basically, you know, we was on the goal line. Uh, We happened to just be on the red zone, and we we was like six yards, seven yards out from the uh, goal line. So, you know, I had a – I basically had an under route, an under drag route coming all the way across the field. And uh, the the, the backers blit. It left me a whole area just to run vacant. I was open for about a good three, two seconds. And, you know, my quarterback at the time, Asher O'Hara, he just lofted it up, threw the ball up in the corner, back corner of the end zone. We connected on a touchdown together. And it was a great, great moment. You know, uh, it was a moment that I'll never forget, you know, playing in the big house, 100,000 100, plus, you know. Making people just be quiet through uh, out that score was just a, a amazing feeling, you know. And, and it's just undescribable, really. It's really undescribable. Tell us about this 2020 season, this past year. Obviously, everybody was dealing with the whole COVID situation. It was a lot more different. You know, no fans or very little fans in the stands. How do you think you improved your game? I know this past year you played in the slot because previously you played outside. So what was that transition like? And just tell us about this past year in general. Well, past year, it was a crazy year for everybody. But, um, you know, it was just decisions that we had to make. It was just decisions that I had to make, transitioning especially from the wide out to the slot. You know, I always consider myself a playmaker wherever. If you put the ball in my area, I'm going to make plays. So I always knew that no matter where I was on the field, that I was going to make plays. That was just my mindset, you know, no matter if it was outside or inside. Throughout my whole career, you know, I I really played slot a lot throughout my whole career. And I played like one year outside in high school, junior year. So I kind of got the feel for both positions. And that transition really helped me out a lot because it was something that I was comfortable with. It was something that I, I was already familiar with. Like playing slot was my natural position. So it was just like, okay. Uh, now, now we're talking. That's what that's what it felt like when when I got moved to slot. Like, okay, now it's really time to get to business. It was a great transition, and this season was a blessing. I was able to showcase my talents from the slot. Who didn't know I could could do so. It felt good to just make all those plays for my team, and you know, just being able to do those type of things at, at the position that uh, that I'm most comfortable with. So, I, I really felt good about that transition. What was it like being the go-to guy in the passing game? It was an honor. It was like it was, it was a great. It was a great experience. It, was, it is a great experience being that go-to guy because you know, you know, people are counting on you. People ex- expect you to do certain things when the ball's in your hands. I just like the pressure. You know, I like all of that. I like I like being the go-to. I like having my team counting on me. You know, I like being the number one receiver because I know that I put the work in. You know, this is what I deserve. So. Everything that, that that's coming to me, I deserve it because I felt like I worked hard for it. I honestly, you know, it feels great to be the go-to guy. and It just feels great. Any athlete dreams about being on SportsCenter, and you had the chance. You made the top ten plays this past year. What was it like seeing yourself on, on TV? And tell us about that catch. I was double-covered, so the ball shouldn't have never, the ball shouldn't have never came to me, but 
you know, when the ball's in the air, I always consider it. it I always know that it's going to be mine. So that play was probably one of the best plays I've ever made in my life. And I, and I really feel like I have a lot of plays that can go viral like that. So, but that play was special there because that play was not supposed to happen. So it was just like, okay, I made something out of nothing. And and being on SportsCenter, just, you know, they, they saw it. I'm just glad they, they were there to see a play like that. And uh, I, I was just grateful to, to even make that play. You know, I give it all glory to God because he was out there with me doing that stuff too. So I felt good, you know, especially seeing myself on SportsCenter and making my family proud. You know, my family just hitting my phone up, just talking about, you know, you made SportsCenter. That was a, a great feeling, you know, and I'm grateful for that. We're curious. Obviously, you made some news. I mean, you put yourself on the national stage. You became the go-to guy at Middle Tennessee, and I'm sure that the NFL draft was waiting for you, the 2021 NFL draft, and I'm sure you considered it. Why did you decide to come back for this upcoming season? Well, honestly, like, I felt like, I I mean, I, I talked with my family and everything, and, you know, uh, I'm in a position where, you know, I can use my talents to even further me ahead, you know, as far as in school and everything. So I'm in a position where I can get my master's degree. So I kind of just was doing my thing on the field just so I could pursue my education. And I know that's what my mom wanted. She she always says uh, education comes first. Honestly, from a football point, it was a lot of things that I felt like I needed to get better at. And I felt like, you know, I could have worked on my top end speed, mentally be uh, know the game more, and just everything like that that comes with it. I just I have an opportunity here, educational-wise, to pursue my master's. And I also have an opportunity to uh, get bigger, get stronger, get, get faster, and mentally know the game more, you know, because I know the league is going to be there. And I know I have an opportunity to hire my draft stock. So it's all about, you know, waiting for that right moment like yes a lot of people will say oh last year was your league year but I honestly feel like this year is going to be my league year too plus we're going to win a lot more games so everything's going to come come together this year that's a great attitude there Jaron uh speaks a lot to your maturity that's for sure so what would you consider like this season you get the, that second bite of the senior season what would you consider this season uh, to be successful? What are, you, what are you trying to accomplish this year? Well, personally, I feel like this season, they're going to see a lot of taking the top off the defense from me, you know, uh, faster. I definitely got bigger, you know, so I'm going to be able to break a lot more tackles after the catch, you know. I feel like last year I was more of a possession guy. You know, I would, I would, I just move the chains and everything. But this year, I'm gonna be more, I'm gonna be a possession guy, and I'm gonna be able to take something to the house too. So, I feel like being versatile like that is is extremely important, especially trying to go to the next level as a team wise. You know, we we just have to make a change. You know, uh, we have a new OC, we have a new quarterback. We just everything is everything is coming together in a great way. I feel like our team now is. Is building, you know, we're building that bond, we're building that chemistry. Everything's coming together more natural, you know. So, and don't get me wrong, you know, I love, even last year, I loved our team, even I loved it, you know, but it was just, you know, a few changes we had to make. Everything's going to come together full circle. Jaron, how much bigger did you get over this offseason? How many pounds did you put on your frame? 
I put about 15 pounds, 15, 16 pounds is just straight muscle. You know, last year I was kind of, I think I was playing at about 185, 183, fluctuating from that type of weight. And now I'm, I'm, I'm 200 solid. I feel like that's, that's going to be a big advantage for me. I got bigger upper body, you know, so since moving in the slot, you know, I got to block backers now. I got to, I got to really move them now. So I feel like I put on that physical weight that I needed to uh, hang in the box with them big boys. Let's get the serious part now. Playmaker JP. Who gave you that nickname and uh, how did it come about? Um, Honestly, you know, it kind of grew with me throughout the years. I always consider myself as a playmaker. Playmaker is, you know, a lot of people think, oh, that's just him. It, it has to do with him playing on, playing football and making plays on the field. But, you know, you can make plays in anything you do in life. You know, you can make plays in, in whatever you're doing. You can be real estate. and Whatever you do, just make a play. That's just a nickname that's been with me. And uh, I, I love it because I, I feel like I live up to that name, you know. Just being a playmaker is, is more than just sports-related it's it's deeper. It's really deeper than you think because, you know, I take it very serious. You know, if if my team needs to, me to make a play, I will make that play. There's been times where uh, my coach would just look me in the eye and be like, we need you to make a play here. And, you know, I, I, I come through. You know, it's just all about just being consistent. Growing up, consistency was key. And I was always consistent at making plays. I was always consistent at making those big-time catches. I just felt like that name was the best for me, you know. So I just felt good about it. You didn't have to get you hooked up with Michael Irvin. Who were some of the wide receivers you watched as a kid? Who did you like to watch? I am a big, big fan of Antonio Brown. I looked up to him. I tried to emulate everything he did, honestly. Like, uh, even on the field, like, I tried to try to do his routes just like him. I tried to, you feel me, just tried to run like him. That's That was who I modeled my game after growing up. And then I started leaning towards, you know, uh, you know, Keenan Allen as far as route running. I love watching Julio just because he's a he's an ultimate dog out there on the field. He's your uh, neighbor now, right, Julio? Yes, sir. He's gonna have a great year too. Uh, Jaron, uh, give us a quick scouting report on your team uh, heading into fall camp. Strengths, weaknesses. What can we expect from this year's group? I mean, you mentioned that you guys will win a few more games, so. Give us a scouting report. Um, well, from the offense, you're going to see a lot of big-time plays. You know, you're going to see a lot of big-time players making big-time plays, you know, taking the top off the defense. You're going to see a lot of speed mixed in with a lot of strength, mixed in with a lot of uh, elusive running. We got running backs from top to bottom that are ready to go. And I feel like with this offense coming in, you know, I feel like we're going to have a great run game. And once we open up the run game, we're going to have a great passing game. And I feel like all around, offensively, we're going to be good. We're going to be great. We're going to start putting up points. You know, everything is going to come together full circle. And defensively, you know, we added some people. We added some safeties. We got some new faces in here. We got some new guys, bigger guys, stronger, faster guys. So it's going to be a lot of fun around on defense, a lot of stops on defense, a lot of interceptions on defense, because I feel like, honestly, you know, we all want this. We all want this bad. We Last year left a bad taste in our mouths. We have weight on our shoulders that, you know, that we're willing to carry, and we all got to, you know, just do our job. You know, we all know our jobs, and we're all good at it. So I feel like all together as a team, you're going to see a lot more wins, you're going to see a lot more teamwork together. Everything is going to 
bounce back from each other. Everything is going to be more uh, collaborative. So everything is going to flow. You mentioned during our interview that you've gotten bigger, you've gotten faster. What do you think is your biggest strength? Like what area is your biggest strength as a player? I'm big on my hands and my route running and, you know, sticking my foot in the ground and just being able to create space, you know, and I'm big on that, you know. And I tell the quarterbacks all the time, I just be like, just start in my area and just let me do the rest. I just honestly feel like that's my biggest strength, you know, ultimately is my route running, my game speed. A lot of people mistake my speed. They underestimate my speed. So that's the – I know I'm sneaky like that. So that's another advantage that I have on people who's guarding me. You know, I just feel like it's hard to really guard me because you don't know what you're going to get from me. And I honestly just think, like, that's really my biggest strength It's just basically my hands, my route running, and not being able to be guarded. What do you think makes you a unique individual? Kind of a hard question, but what do you think makes you unique? What makes me unique is just me being myself, and I'm genuine, you know. So it's just like I'm not trying to portray anything. I'm not trying to be anything I'm not because I know, like, where I come from. I know who I am as a person. I'm very self-motivated, you know. Like, I know what I want, and whatever I want, I, I, I'm, I usually get. So what makes me so unique is that, you know, I have the ability to also make somebody right next to me better, make them better themselves, you know. I feel like I was born with that, and my mom raised me to be that way. So whatever you see, whatever you hear from me, you're going to get that. You know, I'm an honest person. I have no reason to lie. I don't do anything bad. I do everything that's in my control. So I feel like, you know, that's really what makes me unique is me being myself, you know, on the field and off the field. All right, Jaron, when you hear NFL, National Football League, what comes to mind? I hear NFL, National Football League being able to provide for my family. I'm using my skills, you know, I'm, I, I'm more, like I feel like I'm more than a football player, but I'm so good at football that I'm using that to open more doors for me. So I feel like, okay, the NFL is just another level, another platform where I, where I could showcase my skills on at a higher level, at the highest level, and really prevail, you know, and have a chance to provide for my family financially, and mentally, physically, all the way around, you know. So I just feel like it's an opportunity to provide. You're an L.A. kid, okay. Uh, we're in the heart of the NBA playoffs. I know the Lakers are long gone, but are you Clippers or Lakers? I'm a diehard Lakers fan. <laughs> all right. And, I uh, I mean, I want to see the Clippers do, like, you know, it is what it is, but it's Lakers all the way with me and. Now that they're going, I'm just I just want to see somebody win uh, at this point. Are you a bigger fan of Kobe or LeBron? Kobe. Why is that, Jaron? Explain your thought process. Is it because I mean, when you were growing up as a kid, I mean, Kobe was bigger than life. Why do you think Kobe is on another level than LeBron? Kobe was mentally he just had something with him, like especially because I've seen Kobe play like live. I know how it is when when he turned on his game time mode, like, I knew when he did it. And he was a killer. He was unstoppable. Like, don't get me wrong. I love Brian. I, I love what he does for the Lakers organization. You know, I love him. You know, but Kobe was the ultimate standard, you know. And he was somebody mentally and physically who you looked up to. Like, I always knew Kobe was one of the best role models that I ever looked up to because he taught me 
how to respect the game. You know, like he taught me how to how to actually respect my craft and actually honor the craft, honor the game. I feel like that took me a long way just having that that, that mama mentality because he paved the way for all the, a lot of a lot of LA kids. Like a lot of kids that grew up in Los Angeles, Kobe was Kobe. Like we love Kobe Bryant. All right. Playmaker JP, there you have it. We'll be watching you this fall. Appreciate the time and uh, good luck this season, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for you guys. Thank you guys. So thanks again to both our guests today, Teron Davenport and Playmaker JP. For Alex, I'm Lou. Thanks for listening. Join us again next week. Peace.